little bit confusing. He says, even if I do bear witness about my, my testimony, he's pretty, uh, my testimony is true. He's saying, well, I, I have a different kind. Like, you guys don't know who I am, basically. You know, you don't know where I come from. You don't really know what I'm doing. You don't know me, right? And Jesus, obviously, he has authority in himself because he is the son of God. But then he says, I also have someone who bears witness for me, the father. Right? So he talks about the father. He says, so my judgment, verse uh, 15, he says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And when he says, I judge no one, it's a little confusing because he says, even if I do judge, what he's saying is, I judge no one according to the flesh. Right? So basically, when he says, you judge according to the flesh, he's saying, you guys judge people according to your very limited scope. Like, you can only see what you can see. I don't judge by those standards because I have a different scope because I can see everything because right? I know everything. He says, when I judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge but I am the Father. So then he's appealing to God the Father, and he's saying, I'm not the one who's deciding stuff. I'm actually submitting to the judgment of God the Father. So he's saying, I have a different kind of authority right, than, than you guys do. You guys judge according to the, not you guys, but you know, he's saying, the people he's talking to, he's saying, oh, you guys judge according to the flesh, but I have a different kind of authority that is from above. Let's read on in verse uh, Verse 19. It says, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? It's like, okay. Then you're saying your father has some kind of special authority. Where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would not that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Okay, so again, he draws a distinction. He's saying, I'm from above and you guys are from below. And then towards the end. In verse 24, he says, I am he. And that probably is a declaration of divine authority. He's saying, I'm God. Just like, you know, how God said, I am who I am. This construction, and it's hard to tell in English, but in the Greek, him saying this is him pointing to himself saying, I am God. Okay, so when it says that, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Okay, what, what does that mean? So I think a couple things. Here's the first thing. Okay. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, Jesus is the only light that reveals holiness and sin. Right? Jesus is the only light that reveals holiness and sin. Now, this whole thing, like they're having this debate, and the Pharisees think they're talking about one thing, but Jesus is talking about another thing. He's saying, I'm, what it means that I'm the light of the world is I'm the only one who has authority to speak on these things. I'm the only one who has authority to reveal what really is righteousness, what really is virtue, what really is good, and what really is sin. He's the only light of the world. He isn't like anyone else so you guys know uh the parable of the the blind men and the elephant 
If you guys know that parable, it's very well known. It's kind of an Eastern parable. Um, basically, uh, it could be three or four. I'll do four. You know, four blind men happen across an elephant, right? And so they, they come to this elephant, and they're kind of feeling it out, right? And uh, so one guy, he touches the, the trunk, and he, he thinks, oh, it's a snake, right? Because all he can, all he's feeling is a trunk. And then another guy touches the side, and he says, oh, it's a wall, right? Because it's just a big, big thing that's not moving. And another guy, you know, touches the leg, and he's like, oh, it's a tree, you know, it feels like, a, it feels like a, the trunk of a tree. And another guy touches a tusk, and he's like, no, it's a spear. Right? And so these four blind men, each of them have a piece of the truth, but none of them has the whole truth. Right? And, you know, this is, this is used to illustrate many things, particularly about the notion of truth. But I think it also illustrates for us, we could use it to illustrate what the world thinks about morality. The world knows something about morality. It knows something about what's good and bad. It knows something about what's right and wrong, but not everything. Right? And that's and and everyone in the world, right, apart from Christ, apart from God, apart from God's revelation of scripture, wants to believe that they know something about the world, I mean about uh, morality, about what's good and bad about what's right and wrong, but they can only think in a very limited scope. Um, you know, I mentioned last week that, uh, you know, Randy and I were able to go to Gospel Coalition. And um, they actually did. It was, it was very interesting. They did a panel on um, social, uh, well, it was about social issues, but a part of the panel was about social justice. And they were talking about, you know, some aspects of, of social justice. And I was very interested you know, some of you may not know, but there was some stuff that happened recently. John MacArthur released this statement about social justice and the gospel, and it was like a big deal in kind of uh, in in kind of a nerdy Bible circles. But you know, uh, people were talking about: is this right and is this wrong? And is this really does it make sense in our times? Because obviously, there are a lot of issues pertaining to social justice that are um, like widely talked about right now. And um, these were some of the things, uh, so a couple of the things that they talked about. Uh, this is one thing that, that Ligon Duncan said on social justice. Uh, he said, the humanist approach to social justice would be something like this. Any social, economic, gender, or racial inequality or disparity is the result of injustice. So he's basically saying this is the humanist approach to the non-Christian approach in talking about social justice, would be something like any social, economic, gender, or racial inequality. So anything that any group in particular is not equal to all, like, does not have an equal outcome in all the other groups. So if we were to do some kind of, like, um, survey and, you know, one group of people was uh, had a different income, like average income, than another group of people, then that must be the result of injustice. That's kind of the, the world's definition. And he and his comment on that was, that's crazy. If any inequality is due only to some kind of systemic injustice, he's saying that's nuts. Now, we don't even apply that across every kind of thing. We don't. We, we're very specific about what we apply that to. 
But he was saying that doesn't make sense. Another thing that, uh, so Stephen Elm was talking about it, and he said something I, I found very interesting. He said, if we talk about justice and there's no forgiveness, then there's no point of reference for the justice that the Bible speaks about. Now, of course, this idea, though, you know, go to Twitter <laughs> and just type in justice or social justice, right? You will not find anybody talking about forgiveness because nobody cares about forgiveness, right? What we're interested in is tearing someone down for doing something wrong. We're not interested in that person being forgiven. We're not interested in that person finding reconciliation or finding truth in God. Even as Christians, right, we don't care. All we want is to tear someone down for doing something wrong. He said, we love the idea that God is a just God. We just don't want him to be just toward us. It's like, yes, we love that God is a God of justice when we see that someone else has wronged us. Now, this works even on a personal level, right? You want God to be a God of justice when it comes to the other person and what they did to you. Well, they betrayed me. Well, they talked bad about me. You know, they, they, they um, insulted me. They hurt me. So you say, yes, I want them to find justice in God. But of course, if I've done the same thing, I, then I don't, want, I don't want God to be just. Right? I want God to be forgiving. Like we all have different sensibilities when it comes to certain issues, right? So I'll take, I'll take something really, um, you know, dumb, kind of, not dumb, but you know, not, not so big and important. Which is like we all have different sensibilities when it comes to something like time, right? And when, if I, if I call it, you know, I'll just give you a, for exa- a personal example, right? Like if I call a meeting, like a leader's meeting, and I say, okay, guys, let's meet at this time. We're going to meet at 11 a.m. You know, so make sure, you know, you're here at 11 a.m. If I'm the one sitting there and nobody's there, then I'm thinking like, what the heck, man? <laughs> like, you know, you know uh, and we're all, like, we're all different. Some of us are more like sticklers about time, and some of us are very lax about it, right? And so if I'm sitting there and I'm the one waiting, I want all the sticklers. I'm like, where's, why aren't they, you know, where's the time, right? But if I'm late, then I want to be in the meeting all the people who are lax about time, right? Like, I don't want any of the sticklers to be in there being like, oh, what's, uh, why, are you, why are you three minutes late, right? Why, it's 11.03, you're not here? No, I want all the people who are just chill about it. Like, oh, it's cool. Like, who cares? It's fine. It doesn't matter. That's, that's generally how we are. This is kind of, you know, and the idea is the world's notion when we judge according to the flesh that's usually what we do. We like to stick to kind of one part of it. We like to apply things to other people as it applies to a specific part. And usually, when we do that, we pick the things that we pick the things that we're good at. Like, well, I'm really good at this, and so this is the criteria by which I'll judge people. I'm very considerate, and so I don't like it when people are inconsiderate. I'm very punctual, so I don't like it when people aren't punctual. You don't say, I'm late all the time, and I hate it when people are late all the time. Right, nobody says that. Do you realize that apart from the light of Christ, you're in the dark? Do you realize that? Like, do you accept the notion that anything that comes from anywhere else, apart from Jesus, it comes only out of some other study, apart from Jesus? 
I think, does, does God use information and others? Of course, of course he does. But anything that comes only from somewhere else that is divorced from the notion of God's authority and Jesus as the judge. This is what he's saying is, I'm the light of the world. I'm the judge. Do you realize that only having that, apart from Christ, you're just in the dark? You're just a blind dude grasping at an elephant thinking it's a tree or a spear or a snake. Basically, you have no idea what's going on. Jesus being the light means he is the righteous judge that reveals both sin and holiness. He is the only judge, the only light. Now let's read on here. Verse 25, so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to him, Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. They don't understand that he's speaking about the Father, God the Father, not just his Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, again, that construction, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Right? So he's saying, look, do you guys get it? Like the Father, God the Father. Now, this is uh, important because the Jews would consider God the Father God. Now, they don't consider Jesus God. But he's saying, what you guys don't get is me and God, you know, we're like this. Right? The Father, that's my Father. You know, I am God, and I've come. Like me and God, we're always in sync. So if you don't know me, you don't know God. If you don't, you don't love me, then, then you don't get any of this. You don't really know what's happening here. He goes on, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, we're not going to get to it, but basically... They say, Abraham's our father. And he says, nope, Satan's your father. Right? You do what your father, the devil, tells you what to do. And they're like, oh, that's, it gets, that, that, that's a funner part, but we're not going to get to it. Right? The point here is Jesus, so Jesus is the light. He is the only judge right, that can distinguish, that can discern sin and holiness. Here we see Jesus is the light that frees us from the darkness. Jesus is the only light that can free us from the darkness. He says here, we are born as slaves to sin, but we can be set free by the truth of Christ. Now, he says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
right? And they say, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Now, so they're not talking um, literally, like physically, about uh, political enslavement, because if you just look at the history of Israel, they've been enslaved a bunch of times, right? There were slaves in Egypt, there were slaves in the Assyrians, the Babylonians, now the Romans, basically. And so I, they're not, that's not what they're talking about. What they're talking about is we are the chosen people of God, right? So we have always had this kind of uh, spiritual heritage and privilege. And he's saying, no, your heritage Right? Your privilege in this case doesn't mean anything. This is like the person who says, I say, how long have you been a Christian? And you say, I've been going to church since I was born. And I would say, so what? Right? It doesn't mean anything. Now, now I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything, right? It's part of your story. It certainly is probably part of the way that God brought you to Christ. I mean, I'm not saying that nothing that you learned ever stuck. But someone who appeals to their heritage, if you say, you know, if I say, are you Christian? And the way that you answer that question is, well, my parents were Christian and my my grandparents were Christians. And, you know, our Christian lineage goes back to the 1500s or I don't know. None of us know any of our heritage that far back. But, you know, oh, yeah. And, you know, they've always uh, they've always followed Jesus and they were missionaries and this and that. And Jesus saying that doesn't mean anything. Like, what are you talking about? If you sin, you're a slave to sin. That has nothing to do with your parents. That's you. If you sin, you're a slave to sin. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, when he talks about if you sin, you're, you're, if you sin, you're a slave to sin, he's not saying if you ever sin, then that means you are enslaved to sin right now. Like, if you're a Christian, you're like, oh, man, I sinned this morning. That means I'm a slave to sin. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, but in terms of us, like our lives, if we have ever sinned in our lives, then we are under sin unless we are free in Christ. So, your her- like, if your parents being Christian doesn't make you Christian, essentially, is what he's saying. He's saying each individual person has to know Christ individually. Like, your parents could pray for you, and your parents could have baptized you, you know, when you were a baby. It's part of the reason we don't do that. But, you know, that, that could be all these kinds of things. And it doesn't matter. Jesus' real question, really the uh, what determines whether or not you are in Christ, is do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you obey Jesus? We are born as slaves to sin, but we are offered freedom in Christ. So Jesus is, this, this is why Jesus has come. Right? Jesus had come. To live righteously, to die unjustly for your sake, so that you could be unjustly forgiven. Right? Jesus is saying, I'll suffer, so you don't need to endure that eternal suffering, and as long as you live this life, you will be able to endure any kind of earthly suffering knowing that I've suffered for you. That's how much I love you. That's how much I care for you. I am inviting you into this freedom. Not to be a slave to sin, but to be free in Jesus. Jesus. 
Now, last week we talked about what are you laboring for? Right? What are you working for? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. So why do, you, why do you labor? Why do you work for food that perishes? Right? Work for the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus says, I'm that food. Here's my question, and I think the question that Jesus would pose to us today. What does freedom look like for you? What's freedom to you? Jesus says, I have the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you step into the light, you'll be set free. What does that freedom look like for you? This is uh, something that Tim Keller said on freedom. It says, modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any constraints. That, that is what we think, right? What's freedom? Freedom is the absence of constraints. It means I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. But here's how he responds to that. He says, but think of a fish. Right? Because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air, it is free only if it is restricted to water. If a fish is freed, quote-unquote freed, from the river and put on the grass to explore, its freedom to move and soon even to live is destroyed. The fish is not more free, but less free if it cannot honor the reality of its nature. Wait, do you, do you see what he's saying there? See, we think, oh, to be free is to not have constraints. It is to not be constrained to one thing, to one job or to one person, to one friend or to one group of friends. It is to be, you know, totally able to do whatever I want anytime that I want to do it. That's, that's the most free. That's the most free. To have unlimited potential. Right? Anything could happen. I could become a master at any discipline. I could become, you know, an owner of any kind of thing, any kind of business. I could live anywhere. I could go anywhere. That's freedom. And he's saying, that's not freedom. That's not real freedom. It's freedom in your brain, maybe. Sure, maybe a fish daydreams about how great it would be, you know, to, like, run on the land. Oh, yes, it would be so joyous, right? But what happens when a fish gets on the land? He dies. He can't breathe. He, he goes on, he says, The same is true with airplanes and birds. If they violate the law of aerodynamics, they will crash into the ground. But if they follow them, they will ascend and soar. The same is true in many areas of life. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones those that fit with the realities of our own nature and those of the world. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as it is finding the right ones, those that fit with the realities of our own nature and those of the world. Sometimes I feel like we are fish who want nothing more than to walk on land. 
And rather than exploring the depths of the seas and seeing all that God has for us, rather than wanting to like swim as fast as we can, or rather than wanting to like make friends with the other fish, or rather than wanting to enjoy all of the beauty that God has made underwater, right? 70% of the earth is water. Right? And rather than thinking, wow, I get to explore all of this and see all that God has for me within the ocean, all we do is sit there at the top of the water and think, man, what's it like out there? Like, I wish, I wish that's where I could be. Rather than being a plane that flies in the sky, we are like the plane that never wants to leave the runway. Like, I want to be the fastest plane on the runway. Just go to the end of the runway, and you just stop. You just turn around, and you come back. That's what I see. Because we have not embraced our restrictions. Because we do not see freedom in Jesus as freedom at all. We think, oh my gosh, why would I want to give up all of my freedom to do all the things that I want? To go there where I have to, like, sacrifice to go there where I have to give God a specific amount of time every single day. You, to set aside time for God every day, every single day, that's a restriction on my freedom. That takes away. What if I want to do something else? What if somebody calls me up? What if my friends are hanging out? I don't want to give that up, God. These fools, right, these idiots are like, it is so good to be a son of Abraham. And God is like, wouldn't you rather be a son of me, a son of God? Why are you bragging so much about your spiritual heritage? Like, oh, we're sons of Abraham. We're Israelites. And Jesus is like, you're totally missing it. Because there is something that is ten times, a hundred times, infinitely better than being a son of Abraham. It is to be a son or a daughter, a child of the living God. Our version of Christianity, the one I think that many, I don't want to group us all together, but many people probably in our, you know, socioeconomic, our demographic have adopted. It is a very safe Christianity. Suburban Christianity. It is one in which we are happy to give up all that could be achieved within our constraints that God gives us for the potentiality of doing anything while really doing nothing. It's like, imagine if, you know, when, <laughs> when Usain Bolt was a little kid and somebody came up to him and said, man, kid, you could run. He's like, you know, I like running, but I like a lot of stuff. You know, I like jumping. I like baseball. You know, I like swimming. And rather than be really great at one thing, I'm going to just be, like, decent at everything. Never have you same bolt, right? Michael Phelps said, nah, you know what? I don't want to swim. I want to I do lots of things. The restrictions are what create the, the great potential in that freedom. I look, and sometimes I feel like 
man, God has something so amazing. He has something so amazing for us. This great freedom. If we would believe in the truth of Christ, both the historical reality of who Jesus was and what he did and who he says he is. He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the real light. I'm the one that's going to shine on your life. If we would say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to go 100% at that. Like, I'm going to stop trying to keep a foot in every area and say, ah, but I want to hang on to this and I want to hang on to that and I want to hang on to this. And I don't want to give up Jesus, what I perceive to be freedom for what you say is real freedom. I don't want to do that. I don't want to really go 100% and really sacrifice and really give time and really commit and really say things like, hey, really keep me accountable. Hey, if you see me stepping out of this, right, these restrictions that God says is what I need, then, then you got to call me out. Like, you got to tell me. I don't want to do that. That's taking things out of my hands. But I feel like if we were to just do it, to really believe, to say, you know what, Jesus? You are not just the light of the world. You are the only light of the world. You are the only truth. You are the only life. There is nothing outside of you. Outside of you, I'm just wandering around in the darkness, and I ain't got no clue what's going on. I feel like many of us would be flying. I have two application points. They will not be new. I'm just going to push on you until you fully believe them. And I mean, it comes from, it comes from the word. <laughs> I think these are things that Jesus pushes on a lot, too. Uh, the first thing would be abide in confession. You know, to step into the light is to step into confession. It is to say what someone knows about me is not the same as knowing me, right? You can know a lot of things from someone's, you know, Facebook profile or what they post or their story, right? All you'll really know, though, is like, information like you might know when their birthday is you might know like you know who they're hanging out with or something like that you might even know that they're really upset because of dave roberts why dodgers so frustrating but um but you won't really know right like the inner workings of their heart you won't know and people won't know that about you unless you sit down with them at a table and share that's so abide in that, right? Like, don't, don't just do it one time, but make sure that that is a regular part of your life. And the other thing I would say is, yeah, not new, but abide in the truth. Abide in the truth. There was, um, and, and what I would say is, read the word. You know, read the word every day. I would say, sit at preaching every week. And I would say, uh, study the word you know, I mean, come to, if you're not doing anything Saturday morning, I don't know why you're not coming to, to study God's word. I mean, if you are, that's fine. But if you're not, then I just don't get it. Um, I just don't get it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but study the word and memorize it, and meditate on it, and really make it. Like, this, this, is, this is God. 
Like, this is God right here. This is freedom right here. This is light right here. It's right here. God, God made it so that it's here and it's physical and it's tangible and you could touch it and you could see it and you could read it so that you wouldn't have to be just sitting at home all day being like, God, tell me something. So I gave you all this. I gave you all this. Why are you sitting on your knees asking me to tell you something when you haven't even looked at this? Abide in the truth. Um, I heard, this is another thing I heard at Gospel Coalition. I'm going to just mine everything. I, I have tons of notes. I'm going to tell you guys a bunch of stuff for the next couple of months. But Because um, I just want to speak to this, okay? Because some people think, and look, if you sit in the world and you don't get the word, and you, you, and you miss a couple Sundays and you don't sit at the preaching of God's word and, and you haven't been reading the word and, and you're just like with your other friends, you start to think, oh, the Bible is outdated though. Like, like preaching of the word and, and the Bible, it's like lost its relevance. It's just not relevant in the world. Today. There's so much more important stuff. There's so much data out there. There's so much study out there. And there are so many more important things. And the Bible's like, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's okay. So Gresham Machen, who's like this old theologian, he said this. He said, preaching is in the shadows. The world does not believe in it. Preaching is in the shadows. The world does not believe in it. And then um, so Alistair Beggy was talking about this. And he said, surely, this is not long ago, he says, surely today we're not ready to change that quote into preaching is in the shadows the church does not believe in it. I'll be honest. I, I worry. Sit before the word of God. Abide in the word. We do need a little more devotion to Christ, a little less nonchalance, a little less aloofness, a little more zealous, urgent, faithful, a little more wide-eyed, hopeful, naive optimism, a little less cool, a little less detached, a little less cynicism. Because I believe that when we do that, when we say, I'm going to have this faith and I'm going to do it faithfully, Christ, he hears us. He smiles at us. And he reinforces in us that we have a much greater pedigree and a greater heritage and a greater inheritance something that's so much better than you know the the dream things that we think we're owed and entitled to that we would be so much more overjoyed by what we're gaining in christ that is deeply life-altering than saddened by what we're losing in the world let's pray together Father God, thank you so much that you have sent your Son, the light of the world, into the world that we might know that light and that joy and that freedom from slavery. God, help us. God, help us. Holy Spirit, would you impress your word upon our hearts would we not just intellectually assent 
to the idea that without you we're in the darkness, God. That without you there is no light in the world. There is no one who has authority to speak to what is good and bad and right and wrong apart from you, Jesus. Jesus, you alone are the righteous judge. You're not good at being good, God. You define goodness. Help us, God, to believe that and to step into true freedom. Not the world's notion of freedom, God, not the potentiality of anything and everything, God, but the right restrictions for the joy of obedience, God. The power of, of following you and seeking you and knowing you and making you known, God. Let that be our freedom. Let that be our joy. Let that be our life. We entrust it to you, God. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.